Uh, before we start this week's Bugle, a quick note that we did have a slight technical issue uh, with the audio from one of the contributors to this show. We do hope it does not hamper your enjoyment of the show too much. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,241 of The Bugle. 4,241 episodes, if you ignore the 3,700 plus that we missed out, of pure, unadulterated factuativity from the very heart of this solar system. I am Andy Zaltzman, coming to you live, albeit live only in the sense that you are listening to it right now, um, in your time at least, um, from London, uh, the city where the new king, King Charles, has stamped his authority on the nation with a brutal campaign of repression and intimidation, in which he has burned down Parliament, imprisoned the entire government, and announced full supreme executive power for him. To, I'm just hearing that has not actually happened. Uh, shame, had my, had my hopes up there. Not obviously what I would want to happen, just a bit of an improvement on what is happening. Anyway, uh, on we go. Joining me to assess the latest mewlings and pukings of our still young human civilization. <laughs> Uh, let's stop being so impatient of our failures. We've only had, only had the keys to this planet for around 10,000 odd years. The dinosaurs had tens of millions and they couldn't even uh, crack the f***ing code. Uh, from joining me, uh, from the leafy sp- splendour of Bromley, South East London, it's the man tipped to be the new James Bond. Albeit only being tipped to be the new James Bond during this sentence, it's Chris Addison. Hello, Andy. Hello, hello, buglers. Uh, it's lovely to be bugling. To be honest with you, it's, it's just nice to get a bit of a break. I've been... Um, I've been writing my Liz Truss musical, uh, the book, of, the book of Moron. Uh, I've got, uh, I've got a few songs already. There's, uh, right. I am sixteen, going on seventeen. IQ, uh, sit down, you're dropping the vote. Uh, the impossible dream. There's no business like show business. Sorry, uh, sorry, Andy, that's wrong. That should just be there's no business. Uh, uh, there's also everything goes and the Act One finale scene where she reshuffles her cabinet, which is just a cover of Send in the Clowns. So it's uh, it's pleasant to uh, to be doing something else. Well, that's good. I look forward to look forward to seeing that. And uh, joining us from Mumbai, India. Let me just uh, quickly check the traffic reports from India. It's busy on the roads, and it looks like <laughs> looks like it's going to remain that way until six thousand years from now. Uh, anyway, from uh, Mumbai, it's Aditi Mittal. Aditi, welcome to the Bugle again. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. I am uh, I am so excited to be here. I actually just want to do a special shout out to Erin. Uh, you know, who is a bugler who came for my last show in Amsterdam a couple of months ago. And um, she uh, was not feeling well because she has long COVID. And so she was resting in my uh, dressing room. And after the show, I went up to her and uh, initi- like, initiated a very long chat with her to the point that she got breathless again. Uh, <laughs> and so I, would like to, I would like to apologize to Erin and... Uh, just to all the buglers who are listening today, you know, usually Andy gives me like a two-day notice and I educate myself about what's happening in the world and then try to be thoughtful about it and stuff like that. And we had like, I had one day notice this time. So <laughs> this is basically uh, unsubstantiated nihilism that's going to come from me. <laughs> um, I, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm confident about it. Oh, that's all right. Unsubstantiated nihilism is actually quite often enough to get you voted in to power, uh, let alone to, just to do a podcast. We are recording on the 27th of September, 2022. And to mark this date, we have a special 27th of September themed quiz 
Answer these questions and win a trip in the Bugle time machine to the 27th of <laughs> September of your choosing, past, present or future, price, uh, subject to successful completion of time machine. Uh, question one. On what date in the year 1066 did William the Conqueror, um, that's spelled T-H-E-E, apparently, uh, distant uh, <laughs> antecedent of Megan the Stallion, um, did he set sail to cross the channel at the start of the Norman conquest of England? Question two, on what day in 1777 did Lancaster, Pennsylvania become the capital of the USA for one single day after Congress hot-footed it from Philadelphia in between the 26th and 28th of September? And question three, which of the following dates is the odd one out? The 27th of September 1867, the 27th of September 1291, the 27th of September 1584, or the 13th of April 1953? <laughs> uh, pens down. Uh, and your answers... Question one, it was the 27th of September in 1066 that William the Conqueror led the storm in Normans across what was then known as the Sea to land on the south coast uh, of England. A couple of weeks later, they beat King Harold's army, taking advantage of the fact that, uh, well, the Normans had had a bye week while Big Harold was getting clanky and cranky with the Vikings in Yorkshire. Uh, William the Conqueror then claimed the throne of England and his continental influence remained until we finally voted the Normans out 950 years later in the referendum of 2016. Uh, question two, the answer was... <laughs> 27th of September, 1777. Uh, Lancaster was the capital of the USA for a day, a scheme which could be set for an exciting 21st century reboot with the capital of America set to be shared amongst 365 different places a year just to try and calm the f***ing place down. And question three, the odd one out, was the 13th of April, uh, 1953. It's nothing to do with it not being the only one that wasn't the 27th of September, but it's the only date on which CIA director Alan Dulles launched Project MK Ultra, an illegal mind-control-based human experiment involving drugs, electric shocks, sensory deprivation, and other forms of physical and psychological abuse. That's what really marks it out from the other three dates. Uh, isn't America fun? You make um, it sound anyway, like that's a bad thing, it. but then they, uh, they, named a, they named an airport after him, Andy. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what... Torture is the best way to get an airport named after you. Yeah. Which begs the question, what was John Lennon really up to? <laughs> I think technically they named the airport after his brother. But but the point stands. Did they? They did, yeah. God damn. <laughs> you, you can't prove it, though. It's just called Dulles Airport. Maybe it's both of them. <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah, I mean, And they do have a, um, a mind-control electric shock room that you can go in there. Um, yes, it's next to the quiet room, which is yeah. a, a terrible piece of planning. <laughs> As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, some free calm-down sounds, uh, with the world seeming constantly stressful, hectic, chaotic, and absolutely jam-packed to the hypothetical rafters with political cads, bounders, shitbags, and ideological incompetence. We will provide you with a sound effect more soothing than reality itself every week from now until everything is fine. Simply play this week's sound effect on a loop, and you should end up feeling more relaxed, calm and equanimous than if you were simply watching, listening to or reading the news. Here is your free sound effect. So, uh, if you could put in some kind of industrial <laughs> machinery, drilling, just kind of clanking metal, animal <laughs> mayhem and like a, uh, an alarm going off. I just kind of... And, and, and for what duration would you like this to play, Andy? I don't know, about seven or eight seconds. So build it up a few seconds. Okay. I'll leave it up to you. Okay. Here it is. Okay, hope that's calmed you down. That section in the bin.
Top story this week. Well, you can't spell Ukraine without N, U, K and E, uh, which is a bit of a concern <laughs> if you try to tell what's about to happen in world events based on the letters involved in the place where those events are taking place. Now, uh, I do know this is not a reliable method of divining the future using the letters in a place. I know this after a very disappointing holiday to Slovenia in which I spotted no voles whatsoever, uh, not to mention my unsuccessful trip to find some new bays for my snooker table in Azerbaijan, <laughs> although I did return from Bangladesh with a much-receded hairline. But anyway, here we are, uh, deep into the second six-month of Vladimir Putin's concerted attempt to prove that there are no warnings from history so obvious that even the biggest f***ing idiots in the world can't ignore them. And the Kremlin gremlin has threatened to quadruple down on his heroically incompetent invasion of Ukraine by nuking the entire human race. Not his words... Not even actually his inference, but an inference from his inference. The nuclear threat uh, is back, and um, back with without a bang as of yet. But Putin said, I am not bluffing. He said it somewhat bluffily. But, Chris Aditi, is he bluffing? That's my question to you. Uh, it's quite possible that he's not bluffing. To, to, be, to be absolutely honest, I mean, he's a lunatic. But look, here's the thing. We've been here before, right? We have been here before. I was a kid in the 80s. And being a kid in the 80s involved being absolutely certain that you were going to be annihilated in a nuclear war any second. To be honest, Andy, if we get blown up tomorrow, I'll have had 35 more years than I thought I was going to get in <laughs> 1987. And I can't really <laughs> complain about that. But it does mean that I have had training at a very, very young age about what to do in the event of a nuclear conflagration, thanks to a government leaflet called Protect and Survive. Now, many buglers will be too young or foreign to remember this, <laughs> so uh, it might be a useful time to summarise the main points in case all things go off. So, if you come across a nuclear weapon, the chances are that it's probably more scared of you than you are of it. You need to maintain <laughs> eye contact with the warhead, walk slowly backwards and make a submissive gesture, such as offering to buy it a drink or opening the door and letting it go through first. Nuclear weapons are attracted by bright colours and opposing political ideologies. So <laughs> as the geopolitical situation becomes more fraught, do avoid snazzy jumpers or twatting on about the rights of the individual in a democratic society and most importantly if you see a smaller tactical nuclear weapon do not under any circumstances approach it it is highly likely that the icbm the intercontinental ballistic mother is not far away and they can be very very protective <laughs> uh well I mean, that's that's reassuring to know that those that, that that's uh, those safeguards just, are still in place of course it's just about keeping a sense of proportion isn't it yeah um, uh, Aditi, what's the what's the reaction been in in India to the um, uh, what well, to the to, to the, the the bluff or non-bluff stroke threat stroke non-threat? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, nothing, nothing because right. uh, nobody cares. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a fact. It's a fact. I mean, look, okay, if he had to do it, he would have done it by now. If he's that unhinged. That nuclear bomb would have gone off like seven months ago, but it's not going to happen. And this is because, I mean, this is the planet that he's on as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, if an internet influencer gets cancelled on the internet, they don't disappear from the internet. They come back to the internet to post an apology video and then sell their apology t-shirts. So I don't think he's going he's gonna to destroy the earth. Um uh, and I mean, this attention that he's getting right now, as a professional attention seeker myself, um, <laughs> why, 
Why would why would why would he do that? I think I mean I think it would be end game for him, and that would be unfortunate for the attention he's getting. So I don't think uh, we're not too scared here. He did say um, uh, in his message to the world, "I want to remind you that our country also has various means of destruction." Uh, fortunately for the rest of the world, foremost amongst these means of destruction at Russian, Russia's disposal is self, um, easily <laughs> their favourite form of destruction, the classic Russian destructive strategy. Um, unfortunately, Russia quite often also takes down its enemies, allies and neighbours as collateral damage in its uh, determined attempts to destroy itself. But there has long been a suspicion about uh, Putsi that he is he's not, <laughs> not necessarily someone to whom you'd entrust uh, a small puppy, let alone control of a faded, sclerotic, corruption-ravaged former superpower with an alcohol and winter problem, plus a nuclear arsenal. So, understandably, the world is a little tense at the moment, um, and uh, he seems to be in a kind of phase of dangerous floundering. Um, the the invasion has not gone, uh, I think it's fair to say, particularly well. The world still seems to be trying to work out if it's possible to negotiate the cat that is Vladimir Putin down out of the <laughs> metaphorical military tree in which he, he finds himself or, or whether you can just lob a big hungry doggy up into the tree or just set fire to the tree and be done with it but at the moment the world is still waiting for someone in Russia to do the decent thing for us and either do to him what once happened to his great uncle Ras or coax him <laughs> uh, into entering a Yuri Gagarin impersonation competition and hope that his unstoppably competitive nature and arrogance will end up with him blasting himself into space, Gagarin-style, but in his now-traditional manner, without having thought about what happens after he makes that first move. So here we are in this kind of awkward awkward situation. What's your way out of this, Chris, for the world? I mean, you obviously have a plan generally for getting the world out of major crises of all sorts. Yeah, at any given moment, I've got, I've got, I've usually got something going on. I mean, I think probably the thing to do with uh, with Putin is just to, is just to wait it out because basically he's just, he's a man who is slowly shrinking the targets that he claims to have been going for. So initially he wanted to kill Zelensky and take Kiev. Uh, within several days that was just maintain the Donbass region. Right now he's losing the Donbass region so he's going to go, alright, Crimea. Eventually he'll go, oh, oh just Sebastopol. Uh, and then he'll go, alright, just this corner shop in Sebastopol. Fine, just this finger of fudge bar and eventually that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. And he'll kind of just disappear into a, into a puff of smoke. That would be my thinking but the simpler one would be to uh, somebody some someone inside the re regime to kill him right i do hope i'm delighted by the prospect that putin's final defeat looks like it may may welcome at the hands of a man who once went on national television and pretended to play a grand piano with his penis so i i sort of hope that whichever member of the russian state security services is finally tasked with walking into his dacha and shooting him in the head they force him to watch that clip on youtube <laughs> first <laughs> um, uh, so in, in an attempt to, uh, to to turn the tide of his uh, his struggling invasion he's um, launched a mobilization campaign now of course Putin already a strong runner for the shitbag of the century uh, award although of course we know from previous centuries you can't always pick the winner after less than 45 years um, but he's launched his mobilization campaign to try and recruit 300,000 reservists of varying levels of training from a little bit to absolutely f*** all to cannon fodder the shit out of in order to avoid himself losing face, which doesn't seem a good way of dealing with your problem. It's a classic male behaviour, is it not? You know, bottle things up, 
at work when <laughs> things are tricky at work. Don't talk about your problems with your friends and then you end up mobilising 300,000 people and threatening nuclear war. Get it out in the open. It's the 21st century, Vlad. It's not gone particularly well, this mobilisation. Um, basically, uh, the Russian reservists have been put in a flight or fight scenario and they've gone for option A, flight. Um, and rather than <laughs> proudly donning their uniform, they've been hot-footing it to any available airport or border crossing. I mean, I can sort of understand that from the reservist point of view, Aditi. I mean, the, the, the attraction of being sent to die by a lunatic despot has rather worn off for humanity over uh, over the last few thousand years. Internet, it's ruined all of us from wanting to kill, kill ourselves. <laughs> you know, the, my favorite piece of news that came out uh, the day the mobilization was announced, that there was a spike in the Google search results for the term, how to break your own arm. <laughs> <laughs> my second favorite thing, there's many favorite things about um, this war mobilization effort that I love personally, uh, is that... They have been sending out letters, so apparently there's a, there's a, the military reserve that they're supposed to send out these letters to, right? But apparently it's been going to, like, random people, to, like, children and old people <laughs> and women. Somebody said that this is actually a move by Kiev to sort of brew discontent among the public. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I was very impressed. I was very impressed that now it's going to take letters to bring down... You know, what used to be... I mean, yeah, people have been, you know, just fleeing to airports, any available border crossing. Um, so it turns out it's, it, it's not hugely popular, this mobilisation. I guess we've all been there, haven't we? You send out an invite to uh, someone to come to a party you're holding to celebrate uh, yourself, and they instantly try to leave the country. Um, I remember that happened with me uh, back in uh, 2006 and uh, with uh, I invited John round for dinner. But anyway, I mean, we've all been there. We've all, we've all been there. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, the alarming thing is that Russia apparently has 25 million potential reservists that it could call up. But the problem for Russia is that only uh, a reported 17 of them are enthusiastic, although 13 of those people misheard the question as would you like an ice cream rather than would you like to be a pawn in a pointless political power game? Possible side effects may include death. So it, it, it's not a, it seems there's not a lot of public support. More than 2,000 arrests have been made as people protest against the mobilisation. I mean, what, what do you think Putin could do to try to improve the public relations side of, uh, of this, Chris? Well, they're already, they're already sort of trying to qualify the statements that they've already made, saying we're not just mobilising everybody, there will be certain exceptions to this. So they've announced groups who will no longer be required uh, should they reach, you know, should they receive a, a mobilisation notice. So, for example, there'll be an exception, he says, to the mobilisation. This, this is the one that really struck me. For fathers of four or more children. <laughs> there must be an absolute festival of f***ing going on across Russia right now. The place must be like fresh as week at a Catholic university. The whole country <laughs> probably smells like Peter Stringfellow's house. Satellite images are showing long queues, not just at the borders, but outside nightclubs and IVF clinics. Black market prices are through the roof for chocolates, roses and secondhand positive pregnancy tests. And that's not the only way for anxious Russians to get hold of the necessary number of kids, of course. What I'm saying is there is going to be an excellent seller's market right now 
for any excess children you might be wanting to get rid of. I've looked, and there is no mention of selling kids on the sanctions list, so you can just go for your life, I reckon. Obviously, it's not for everyone, but if you've got twins... Why not sell the spare one? Make some money and cut down on rocketing grocery bills. Win-win. Oh, hell, why not sell both of them? Remember the Antiques Roadshow rule. They're worth more as a pair. <laughs> in, the, in the Ukraine, uh, Russia has been putting on referendums in uh, parts of the country that uh, it controls, uh, described as sham referendums um and i mean we know certainly in in this country that even a properly run referendum is an absolute source of (laughs) unending pain confusion and dispute so a sham referendum it seems unlikely that this is going to work surely well i mean are they sham referendums because uh, they have had a 400 percent turnout of voters and that is four (laughs) times as legitimate as any previous referendum in history they haven't announced the results I'll, I'll grant you that but the latest polling does show that 52% ticked the box marked yes I want to join Russia while 48% ticked the one marked no I don't want to stay in Ukraine <laughs> seems all above board to me Andy I mean it's just it's quite cutely democratic of him suddenly to want to do a de- referendum after starting a war <laughs> I, I find that a bit confusing just go to their houses and steal their fathers and sons or whatever like what i love about this is that now you know the, the phrase like lock up your daughters and wives because putin is here has now changed to like lock up your sons and fathers <laughs> and as a homophobic man i know it must bother him so much <laughs> Do you know on a, on a separate point obviously slava ukraini and all of that um, but I, for one, am worried about the level of expectations a victory by Zelensky is going to put on other comedic actors who've starred in satirical political sitcoms. I just, I just feel like I've got skin in the game. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, Chris, I mean, looking at the people currently in charge of the United Kingdom, you've got to be pretty close. You have to be pretty close to... Uh, to- yeah. I mean, I think if it was put to a vote tomorrow, Chris Addison versus Liz Truss, and there's only one winner there, isn't there? Yes, that's absolutely true. But you know, a bag of soiled toilet roll versus Liz Truss would come would you know get the same result, wouldn't it? <laughs> what about a bag of soiled toilet roll against? Chris? I guess that you're worried about against splitting, me about splitting the vote. Aren't <laughs> exactly. You? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I could, I could always. Uh, enter into a confidence and supply pact with the bag of soil toilet roll. <laughs> More on the Italian election later in the show. <laughs> and we will keep you fully up to date with the world's descent into nuclear conflict over the next uh, zero to 500 years. British financial chaos news now, and the Trust government is just a few weeks into uh, its um, regime, uh, and unencumbered by the restraining yokes of a democratic mandate, any economic sense, the support of their own party, or the people of the nation, or indeed the belief of the international markets. They have um, set Britain on a path to economic chaos, it seems, that even the beloved ghost of Margaret Thatcher uh, would struggle to justify. They've... um, They've launched themselves with this, what they call a mini-budget, um, which uh, has, sp- I believe the term is f**k spooked the international markets, <laughs> uh, with um, 
essentially promises of huge tax cuts and massive borrowing because the future is always it's amazing how generous unborn children are. Um, <laughs> you just whack it on their tab. Um, the Institute of Fiscal Studies uh, said this uh, that the budget could leave a long-term hole in public finances to the value of £100 billion a year. We should say this is only an estimate, and it's also entirely possible that a magic dragon will shit giant golden eggs worth a billion pounds each directly into the Treasury 100 times a year. So we don't know which way it's it's going to go. I mean, it's been described as uh, clown show economics and casino economics. Essentially, they put the economy on 17 red. Um, and they thr- thrust our national fingers into the plug socket of destiny, and just to see if we get hot or burned. Um, Chris, how did you see? I know you're a, a massive fan of uh, the British economy. Uh, Huge. What, how, how, how do you? Uh, how all these t-shirts. What, what's been going on? Well, what's that tickling your earlobes, Andy? That's just a couple of turds floating on the top of the slurry of shit we're all in. That's all that was. What a non-budget that was. Another absolute triumph for the maths department at Eton. They sure turn out some students. Quasi-quarting. Not a real quarting, just a quasi-quarting. A man who has the smile of someone who's farted and is just waiting for it to float over you described it as a mini-budget, which beforehand seemed like an attempt to downplay it, but now just reads like a threat, as in, that was a mini-budget? What the f***? is a full quarting budget going to look like? I'm not saying that reactions to it have been strong, Andy, but when I bought a copy of the Financial Times on Saturday, it was on fire. The Office for Budget Responsibility didn't get sight of the details before Quarting made the announcement, but the Office for Budget Irresponsibility rated the fiscal event an unprecedented five disabled airbags out of five. Already, letters of no confidence are being submitted by Tory MPs, letters of no competence are being submitted by economists, and letters of no con are being submitted by the hospitality industry, which has had to make the difficult choice between turning the lights on or buying ingredients. <laughs> According to Bloomberg, this is true, the only currency of the 151 that Bloomberg follow and track, which is currently doing worse than sterling, is the Madagascan Arayari, if that's how it's pronounced. I think it might actually be Madagascan Arayari. Write <laughs> in if you know. Moody and Standard and Poor, not just three words to describe the atmosphere in the country, but also the names of the international credit rating agencies who now look likely to downgrade the UK from an AAA rating to an AAAAAAARGH exclamation mark exclamation mark rating. It was a disaster. Critics of the measures have claimed that they will benefit the well-off much more than those less well-off, whilst Conservative commentators and spokesparrots have retorted that the measures will benefit the much well-off much more than those less well-off. So it's hard to see how those two sides of the argument can be uh, can be reconciled. Amongst other measures, they've um, reduced stamp duty, a tax paid when you buy and sell a house, so people currently struggling to afford a potato for dinner will be encouraged to buy a five-bed detached house in Surrey. Uh, by this. So that should hopefully get the uh, the economy uh, moving. The entire package, as I said, could cost uh, around about £100 billion, uh, per year or more. Just make up a number. Who's counting anymore? Uh, and with tax cuts thrown in, because otherwise why would any self-respecting billionaire bother getting out of bed in the morning, it will all have to be funded by free magic money from thin air, also known as increased government borrowing. And our government is now like a kind of confused 21st century modern-day neoliberal Robin Hood stealing from the future to give to the rich whilst wearing tight green trousers and hanging out with monks. Um, 
Um, but I guess as the old, the old political so as the old political saying goes, if you eat enough hallucinogenic newts, you might convince yourself you are a dinosaur. But there's a greater chance that everyone will just think you're an extremely questionable dinner guest. Hence, a lack of confidence in the British government. <laughs> Well, we mentioned uh, the pound sterling, the uh, renowned currency uh, on which, uh, with which this country pays for stuff. Here now is your sterling fact box. The pound is called the pound because its origin dates back to the 12th century when, under a bylaw introduced by Henry II, if you pounded on someone's front door for an hour, they were legally obliged to give you 16 ounces of metal. Uh, the highest value the pound ever reached was when England itself was valued at £2.99 in the year 1485. This was when Richard III, facing defeat and death at the Battle of Bosworth, famously spooked the currency markets by offering his entire kingdom for a horse. Horses were available at the time for as little as £2.99 from Eddie's Equine Emporium, the budget horse market run by Sir Edwin Glabberley, the Duke of Trumpton on the Snoz, meaning that £1 could buy land and assets valued today at £3.8 trillion. If the current slide in the value of the pound continues, by the year 2381, one pound will buy you half a molecule of gherkin in a McDonald's hamburger. The pound is known as pound sterling after the early English saint, St. Erling, uh, a Saxon monk and financier who'd played the markets during a famine in the year 734 and ended up swapping a single pig for 250 Viking ships, 3,000 units of diamond-encrusted weaponry and 10,000 flagons of unlicensed mead. This followed a series of complicated off-the-books futures trades in a broth shop by the River Thames. That location later been, became known as the Stock Exchange. Uh, Erling's second miracle, which qualified him for sainthood, was when he made money magically sprout from a tree simply by promising that the state would pay it back in 80 years' time. And finally, the current collapse in the value of the pound is thought to be in part because people are worried that when King Charles's beaky profile replaces the more restrainedly snouted visage of the late Queen, coins will have to become wider and therefore cost more to make. After the statement on Friday, the markets tanked, and then Kwarteng gave an interview over the weekend suggesting there will be more tax cuts to come, and the market tanked again. Then, on Monday, in response to those two events, he suggested that he'd set out a plan to bring the debt down on the 23rd of November, and the market tanked yet again. Every time the Chancellor opens his mouth, the markets get worse. At this point, snatching him off the street, tying him to a boiler in the cellar of a safe house, then gagging him looks less like the major crime of kidnapping and more like solid fiscal policy. <laughs> Well, we're approaching the end of this week's uh, bugle. Just uh, we'll have a quick look now at the Italian election um, and maybe cover it in greater detail uh, next week. I mean, Italy obviously quite high up the list of countries in Europe who ought to remember that voting in far right governments does not always end well. Um, <laughs> however, uh, Georgia Maloney and the uh, ban, uh, sorry, and her brothers of Italy party are set to lead what has been described as Italy's most right-wing government since Benito Mussolini, uh, on the subject of far-right government, that didn't always end either well or indeed the right way up from a meat hook. Um, <laughs> the coalition led by her party has won around 44% of the vote. The coalition includes, brace yourselves, long-term buglers, Silvio f***ing Berlusconi. Um, lurking around again, his Forza Italia party picked up 8% of the votes. Uh, Forza Italia means, come on, Italy. Or is it, I'm not sure I've phrased phrase it. Come on, Italy! Come on! Um, it's slightly alarming. that We've seen a lot of uh, rightwards drift in politics 
um, over recent years. Uh, but uh, and, and she's tried to play down quite how right wing uh, her party is and quite how um, fascistic its origins are. Uh, Chris, how worried are you by by this? Well, I'm, I'm not too worried because I feel like Italy might have made uh, a, a sort of genuine good faith error I, right. because the, the party that is, has essentially won the election is called Brothers of Italy. Is it possible that most people just thought they were voting for Mario and Luigi? And and why wouldn't you? They'd be excellent for the economy. They're very good indeed at collecting gold coins. They have an imaginative transport policy, and there's, albeit there's very little in the way of public transport in the Mushroom Kingdom. And during tricky renegotiations on the EU COVID funding package repayments, they can use a power-up to grow to twice the size and become invincible. I do think that putting Mario and Luigi in her new government is something that Georgia Maloney should think about. It would be another... <laughs> attempts to make her fascist party look cuddlier. If Mario was explaining the policies, they'd probably seem less objectionable. Hey, it's a me, a Mario. We're going to stop all the migrant boats with the Navy gunships. You like her? Oh, Mario, I can't disagree with you. You're so non-threatening. <laughs> uh, Aditi, has this, uh, has this been big news in India? And, uh, you know, um, I would like to... Uh, call upon my unsubstantiated nihilism card <laughs> and say that, I mean, like, to me, I, I was just like, wow, they, Italy elected a refreshing summer salad uh, to its <laughs> highest office because Giorgio Meloni, mm, I would, I would order that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, sounds nice, with Parma ham. <gasps> yeah, then the anti-pasti, like, part of the menu, I'd be like, ooh, I'll have a Giorgio Maloney. Yeah. In uh, one final piece of news, uh, huge celebrations at NASA uh, this week. It's not often you see people celebrating a high-speed crash. It often looks, at best, insensitive. But uh, you could understand <laughs> it this week from NASA because what they managed to do was fire a satellite 11 million miles to crash into an asteroid... And it ended up 17 metres away from its target, uh, which is, I mean, that's quite impressive level of accuracy. I mean, that's the kind of level of accuracy the Bugle pretty you know, aims for with its satire. And, you know, we do achieve that over 90% of the time. But 17 metres away after going 11 million miles, that's, uh, that's quite impressive. It's spanked into a 160 metre wide chunk of space rock called Dimorphos, or Dimo, to its friends. It is an Australian uh, asteroid. I should <laughs> emphasize that. Um, I mean, it's a hugely impressive achievement. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, basically, it's a, the world's longest ever snooker shot, and it's um, <laughs> absolutely smashed into it. This is just like scientists at NASA playing cricket in the sky. Um, <laughs> and I am. I am very worried that if the ball comes back into the crease, somebody's going to be like, oh, was that man fading? <laughs> <laughs> My question is, is this all above board? I mean, in international law, do they not have to wait for the asteroid to shoot first? And <laughs> is it wise in any case? Isn't this just going to make the asteroids resentful and angry? This is the classic American foreign policy mistake. It's Al-Qaeda all over again. You mark my words. Ten years from now, we're going to wake up to the news that a group of radicalised young asteroids with fake IDs have hijacked a plane and flown it into a planetarium. You know, and, at, and at this point, like this is supposed to be some sort of like... Uh 
um it's a preemptive exercise mm. that like there's actually no asteroid coming to us but we're just doing this just in case like this level of preparation makes me think that nasa knows something that <laughs> and um thank you so much nasa for not telling us <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Don't forget, there are Bugle live shows imminently um, across the British Isles. London on the 15th, which I think is sold out, and 22nd of October at the Leicester Square Theatre. Birmingham on the 27th of October. Glasgow on the 30th of October, uh, which will feature Nish Kumar and uh, Josie Long. Two shows. We've added an extra show in the afternoon at something o'clock. 330 Let's go with that. I think it's a bit later than that. But, later. But, yeah, afternoon. Sure. We'll call it afternoon. Turn up then. And uh, <laughs> Dublin on the 3rd of November, uh, in, featuring a global all-star cast involving Chris Addison, uh, who's just been added to the lineup. Congratulations, Chris. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, That's, I'm, oh, cheers. I'm glad that application went through. <laughs> career highlight, uh, no doubt. Uh, I will also be doing some Satirist for Hire stand-up shows in the middle of November. Details... On the internet for the Bugle live shows, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the live button. Uh, Aditi, any, uh, anything to alert our listeners to? I will be at the New York Comedy Festival on November 8th. I will be uh, touring India uh, in December. And uh, if there are any Finnish listeners, uh, my show, The World According to Comedians, will be on Finnish public access television uh, in December. Uh, please tune in because uh, I haven't been paid yet. Uh, Chris Uh, I don't really have anything to talk about at the moment other than uh, 3rd of November I'm doing the bugle on the 3rd of November in Dublin apparently (laughs) well there you go Um, we will now play you out with uh, our latest uh, instalment of the bugle wall of fame uh, featuring our premium level voluntary subscribers uh, to join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme at whatever level you choose or to make a one-off or recurring contribution to keep the Bugle free, flourishing and independent go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button This week's Bugle Wall of Fame inscriptees are Sarah Stilwell, who was, of course, the first person ever to use a ladder. Brian Fitzsimmons, who wrote most of the Beatles songs, not all of them, but most. Dan Muck, personally carried one of the very big rocks all the way to Stonehenge back in the day. Whilst Graham Lewis designed a far better helicopter than Leonardo da Vinci ever managed himself. Thanks also to Matthew Gwynn, who discovered gravity before Isaac Newton did, and David Tully, who of course formulated Fermat's penultimate theorem, and the one before that. Damien Lunny was the person who edited Homer's Iliad, down from 1,035 books to a more manageable 24, and Gregor Hoffman concocted the idea for football pitches to be rectangular rather than octagonal. Robert Blohm added three extra strings to the violin, previously a one-stringed instrument, sparking its success in the musical world, And finally, Lucy Perone, apologies for any mispronunciation, famously circumnavigated Antarctica on a windsurfer. Welcome to the Wall of Fame.
Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.